All right. Good to see you guys today. Thanks for being here with us. Hope you're having a good week. You survived the apocalyptic rainstorm last night. What in the world, right? It's crazy, but uh, that's the weather. That's how it goes. Hey, I want to talk to you today about something all of us kind of face in our lives, and that's conflict. Conflict in relationships. You know, the last couple of weeks, my wife Lori has been kind of um, making a lot of progress in trying to shed some COVID weight, right? And it's sort of funny. I've never seen her be this disciplined about like what she eats and like she's weighing, she's tracking what she eats. We've been married 26 years. I have never seen this. Lori was always like, she just eats whatever she wants and she eats thin, you know, like she just has that metabolism. How many of you know people like this? Don't don't you kind of secretly hate them? Like, like, I mean, you know, like, people, I remember when Lori and I were dating, somebody pulled me aside and they're like, hey, does she have, like, an eating disorder or something? Because she's really thin. And I found out later, like, no, she's like a horse, man. She's just gifted by God with genes. I don't know. I look at food and it sticks to me. I'm like a cow. Boom. But anyway, she's never had to do this. I've been doing this my whole life, right? So, so I've kind of secretly loved it. You know, like, she's like, yeah, hungry. See how that feels? Anyway. <laughs> She's gone this weekend. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> so she comes down two weeks ago. She comes up to me and she goes, guess, guess what? She goes, I've lost two pounds this week. And I'm like, man, awesome, great. And that's what I did. I put my hands together, basically. I'm like, good job. I'm proud of you, you know? And I said, I can even see it in your face. Like, I can see that you've lost some weight. You look great. And then all of a sudden she stopped and she looked at me and she goes, did you not like how I looked a month ago? I mean, it was like this whole thing took a hard right turn, you know? I, I'm like, we were, we were happy two seconds ago. Everything was kosher, everything was cool. And then she looks at me and she goes, maybe you shouldn't comment about my weight loss anymore because it makes me insecure about how you felt about me a month ago. And I am like, Okay, I don't know what just happened, but whatever just happened, I'm going to roll with it. Good, I got it. I'm taking notes. Well, would you believe last week she comes in and she says, guess what, Judd? I lost a pound this week. And she looks at me like I'm supposed to say something, like she's forgotten this whole conversation that just happened. And I looked at her and I just said, I feel trapped right now, totally trapped. Like, it is a lose-lose situation, you know? If I don't say anything, that's bad. If I do say anything, that's bad. And some of you, like, half the room right now is like, yeah, Lori's got a great point. I understand. And the other half the room is just as confused as I was. And that is relationships in a nutshell, right? It doesn't matter how long you've been married, how long you've been together, whether it's friends, family, coworkers, inevitably there will be complication, confusion, conflict, drama, family drama, work drama, friend drama, kid drama, right? We all face drama. And drama and conflict isn't primarily the issue, it's how we deal with it. So I want to look at the Song of Solomon with you. I want to give you four simple ideas today that can maybe help us deal with conflict in our friendships, relationships, marriages, whatever, in a more healthy way. 
The Song of Solomon, we've been going through it the last several weeks. It's this love song in the Bible between Solomon and his wife, and they're sort of looking back over the years and reminiscing about their relationship. And so the first couple chapters are like these monologues about love and the power of love. And then chapter three, they look back at their wedding. Uh, Chapter four is one of the more saucy chapters in the entire Bible. You know, it's kind of the culmination of like love and romance. And that's why Pastor Nick took that chapter last week. You see how I did that? Hey, Nick, I got a great one for you. Here you go. Chapter four of the Song of Solomon, the sexiest chapter in the whole Bible. Good luck. Um, Chapter five, right after chapter four, is conflict. And that tends to be like how it goes in life and even how it goes in relationships. Things are good. Everything's great. Everything's awesome. I mean, you've lost weight. You look great. And then we took a hard right. And in, so in the Song of Solomon, when they get to chapter 5, I mean, they, they, it, it, they've had a real rupture in their relationship. Real conflict has entered into the picture. And literally, this is chapter 5, verse 2, two verses before, at the end of chapter 4, she's saying, you know, awake north wind, come into my garden, and all this stuff. And then two verses later, this is what we read. Check it out. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. She says, I slept but my heart was awake. Now, anybody understand that? Like anybody, have you ever laid in bed and, you know, he said something or she said something or they said something and it's spinning around in your heart and in your mind and you're like sort of asleep, but you're awake, right? You're processing, you're thinking about it. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they haven't apologized. I can't believe that they're, and you're kind of turning over again and again. She says, I slept, but I was awake. And then he comes to the door right? He comes knocking on the door. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me my treasure, my darling. He's trying to warm her up like, hey, baby, come on, let me in. You know, like unlock the door. Come on, man. I'm your man. Let me come in and look at what she says. But I what? Responded. This is what she says. I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? She's like, you're not coming in here. Don't even think about it. I've already taken my robe off and I've washed my feet and I'm not about to get up and go to the door and let you in. You're on your own, buddy. So this is kind of where they're at. Conflict has entered in to the picture. What do you do when there's conflict? How do we process it? Well, I want to suggest a thought for you today that I think is helpful for all of our relationships and that is this. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. It's so easy when there's conflict to shift blame instead of trying to deal with the situation, right? If you're just trying to like, like, you know, you start blaming each other rather than than trying to fix the actual problem. And sometimes it's the simplest things. You know, I I heard a story about a guy that uh, he got super frustrated because his his wife didn't change the toilet paper roll often enough in their home. By the way, how many of you are uh, over people with the toilet paper? Who, who are my over people? How many of you are under people? Under people, come on, yeah. You're a minority, but you're strong. You're strong. And you're probably married an over person, right? Like, that's how it goes. Anyway, he, they, they would get in these arguments, and he would say, like, hey, you never change the toilet paper roll. And she would say, I change. And by the way, I know that's ridiculous, but a lot of our arguments are ridiculous. In fact, 
Most of us would think back and some of the biggest arguments we've had and some of the most important relationships in our life, we can't remember what they were about, right? We just remember the argument. You never change a toilet paper roll. She says, I change it just as much as you do. He says, no, you don't. She says, yes, I do. And so he decides after that, he's going to prove it. So every time he <clears throat> to changes the toilet paper roll, he takes the little cardboard cylinder and he signs it and dates it. And then he goes and puts it in a little bag and puts it in his closet. He's gearing up for war. And he's right. The next time she gets defensive, boom, it's on. I got proof. And so sure enough, eventually they have another blowout argument and it takes all the twists and turns and it gets down to the stupid, dumb things, the toilet. You never change the toilet paper roll. At this point, he's just baiting her. And she says, I change it just as much as you do. And he says, no, you don't, and I'll prove it. And he goes into the closet, and he pulls this bag out, and he pours out all the cardboard cylinders onto the floor. He goes, see, I change it more than you. This is not a smart man. <laughs> this is how you might win a battle, but you're going to lose the war. Right? You might win an argument, but you're not winning their heart. Right? And that's what happens when we tend to attack each other rather than attacking the problem. Not only do we not move things forward, but man, we just put more distance between us and that person that we love. Lori has a thing where when we're dealing with conflict, and we, we've had some areas of conflict in our marriage, but I think probably the greatest area of conflict was around parenting. Come on, somebody. Like, parenting can bring it out, you know, because you both have your own perspectives of, of kind of what you went through as a kid and how parenting. And so, man, we've always had, we love each other, but we've had conflict over, like, how we parent. And then I've had conflict with her because sometimes I think she tries to parent me. Look, my parents had a heck of a time with me, and I don't need my wife being my mom. You know what I'm saying? And I've had to look at her at different times and be like, don't talk to me like I'm four. Anyway. Spicy today, right? A little spicy. Lori's not here. But I got to be careful because Lori's going to do next weekend with me, so you'll get to hear, you'll get to hear the truth from her. Um, but Lori will hold up her hand, and she'll say, same team, same team. And it's just a simple action, a reminder like, okay, wait, we're, we're shifting the blame to each other. We need to deal with the problem, and let's try to, and I think, you know, Stephen Covey said years ago, seek first to understand and then to be understood. When it comes to dealing with conflict in our relationships, first try to understand where they're coming from. How do you do that? You ask questions. You listen. Rather than trying to make them feel your frustration or feel your pain, you come in, you say, look, I'm going to ask. And here's the thing. You will eventually get more empathy if you ask questions and listen first and try to understand first. Empathy has the tendency to turn down drama. It turns it down. There's more understanding. Then you can move forward. You can win the argument, but really what, what you really want to do is you want to win their heart. So attack the problem, not each other. Here's a second thought for dealing with conflict. Acknowledge the hurt. 
acknowledge the hurt. Now, when you look to the Song of Solomon, there's, there's a real rift that's, that goes on here. There's real hurt. And it, you kind of get the sense that when, when he's at the door and he knocks and she says, look, man, I've changed my robe. I'm not getting up. I've washed my feet. Why should I answer the door? That she's actually wanting him to stay at the door. I, I don't, you know, like sometimes when a woman says, just leave, what she means is stay where you are. Right now, I, I'm not telling you I understand this, guys. I'm just reporting. I'm just a reporter. I'm just bringing back to you what I've experienced. In my, like, I remember Lori and I, we got married, and, and uh, you know, like, she was pregnant with our, our first child. And I remember, like, we're, we, you know, we, we had a conflict, and, and she looked at me, and she said, just leave. Tears in her eyes. Just leave. And I thought just leave means just leave. <laughs> I thought we were still using the English language literally. I didn't realize I was supposed to have all this sort of intuitive sense about what things mean, even though that's what they're supposed to mean. That's not what they mean. Like, like I don't know. I'm just a dumb guy. You know, I'm like, just leave. All right, I'll, I'll leave. So I got in the car and I left. That's what she told me to do. Can't be mad at me for that. That's what I was thinking. I specifically remember going to Albertsons in that little jaunt years ago, driving around with the Albertsons, got some things. When I came back to the house, I felt better, y'all. I was like, man, this is, I feel good. Like, I've had a little distance now. I'm sure she's calmed down. She's had a little distance. Listen, when I walked in, this thing had gone to a whole nother level. She'd been thinking, her mind had been going, right, the whole time, and, and I walked in, and it was drama and tears and conflict, and that was my first cue that just leave, at least for her, does not mean just leave. It means come over here and sit down on the couch and work this out. So anyway, I don't know if some of that might be going on because she immediately has a change of heart in the Song of Solomon. She gets up, she goes to the door to open it, but he left. He's gone. Here's what we see. Song of Solomon chapter 5 Beginning in verse 5, she says, I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone, and my heart, what? Sank. That word sank in the original language is the same word, to use, word used for how, like how the people felt in Genesis chapter uh, 38 or 39 when Rachel died. So it's not like, oh, I was a little bummed out. You know, it's like devastation. Like there's a real rift that's happened and now he's gone. And she goes on to say, I searched for him, but I couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. Eventually, she has to get people to, like, search the streets. They're trying to find him. Like, like Elvis has left the building, you know, like he's gone. And she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know where the relationship stands. And this wasn't like in the days where you could just ping somebody's phone or pull them up on Life 360. I got you. <laughs> right? Like, she doesn't know where he is. There's drama. There's tension. And there's real hurt. If you're going to be in a relationship with anybody, your kids, your family, your friends, for a lot of years, there will more than likely be hurt. Hurt happens, and it's because we all have expectations. Like, one way to think about it is like this. Like, we have expectations. If you're, if you're married today um, or dating somebody, you, you had certain expectations. You know, maybe you thought, like, man, you know, once we're together or once we get married, you know, I'll, I'll never be lonely. Uh, we'll always be partners. Um, you know, we'll, we'll always be together in things. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be happy. We have so much in common, right? We're just going to do everything together. I remember when Lori and I were, were dating, she's like, man, we just, we have everything in common, you know? Lori, do not, you know, after 26 years of marriage, we have very little in common. 
I love her with all my heart. She loves me. But I'm just telling you, man, I like jazz. She likes pop. She's a foodie. I'm not so much a foodie. I like coffee. She doesn't like coffee. The list is long, right? And I want to suggest that that's probably true for a lot of relationships, right? The better you get to know somebody, the more you realize there's a lot we have in common, but there's also a lot we don't. But anyway, we all have expectations. But then we have this thing called experience. And a lot of times our experience doesn't meet our expectations, right? You thought, man, when we got married, we'll never, I'll never really be lonely, but some of you, you're lonely all the time. You thought, man, when we got married or we got together, we started dating or whatever. When I had kids, man, you know, we, we would always be partners. And, and then you realize, like, sometimes we feel like enemies. You know, we'd always be in this together, but sometimes we feel like we're going opposite directions. I thought there would be more peace in my life, but there's a, a lot more of something. Some guys get into it. I, I thought we'd be like making love five times a week. Mm-hmm. Not so much. And you know some lady right now is like, if you laugh at that, it ain't going to be happening tonight either. So we, we have expectations, and we have experiences. And the gap is where we often have something called hurt. I didn't think it would be like this. Now let me suggest to you that we all have this gap, that this is normal. But how we manage it and how we deal with that hurt is key to how we move forward. Hurt that is not transformed eventually gets transferred to people around us. And so, by the way, that was a nugget. And so, like, if you don't deal with that hurt and that pain with the gap between what you expect and what you experience, over time, you can start taking it out on people, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, and others who didn't even do it. Somebody put it this way. They said, listen, if you don't deal with the hurt, you'll eventually start to bleed on people that didn't cut you. Right? And dealing with the hurt is not fun, but I want to suggest just sharing the hurt, either with your significant other, your spouse, a friend, whatever, or maybe even with, with somebody else, you know, a wise counselor, somebody that you can turn to. Just sharing the hurt is a huge part of dealing with it. Some of you have never even shared the hurt that you've experienced. You've never verbalized it. Just verbalizing it even if nothing else changes, a lot of you will feel so much better and so much freer just getting it off your chest. Just praying about it, huge. Just acknowledging it to God and asking for wisdom there. Maybe getting counseling, sitting down with somebody, sharing the hurt. Expectations are a big part of that. I remember a counselor saying to me, Judd, one of your biggest problems is you have too high of expectations of others and you have too high of expectations of yourself towards others. And maybe the best thing you could do for some of the people in your life is lower both of those sense of expectation. Interesting. I've been working on it. I'm still working on it decades later. <laughs> but it's all about acknowledging that hurt so that we can start to heal from it or at least recognize it so that we can move forward. Here's a third area if we want to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Attack the problem, not the person. Uh, acknowledge hurt if it's happened in the past. And then seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Have you ever noticed like when there's conflict, a lot of times people go to their friends and their friends do not give them the best counsel. That's an understatement, right? Some, some of you have yes girls and yeah bros, 
you know, the yes girls come along and, and you sit down, you're having a relationship issue and you tell them what happened and they're like, he did what to you? I can't believe he did that to you. That's terrible. And then that, you know, all the girls start chiming in. Yeah, man, that's it. And they tell you exactly what you secretly want to hear. And they carry that offense with you. But they don't ever challenge you. And they just become yes girls. Or they become yeah bros. I can't believe she did that to you, man. You need to go home. This is what you need to do. You need to stand up. And you need to say this. And you need to say that. Says your single friend who doesn't have a single relationship in his life. Look, you need to go home and stand up for your rights. Yes, yes girls and yeah bros and all the things. But what we really need in that moment is we need wise counsel. Sometimes what we do is we turn to our, our, you know, our family. We turn to mom. We turn to, we turn to uh, siblings. And you know, there's a caution there because what we often do is we bring, if there's tension or conflict in a relationship like a marriage, we bring like mom in or dad in or whatever into the conversation and now they're part of it and we share the burden with them, right, that we're carrying. But very rarely do we go back once that burden gets resolved in our, in our relationship and bring that family member into the resolution. We just share the burden with them, and now they're carrying our burden, and we don't bring them into the resolution. They don't, you know, they're still carrying an offense that you let go of a long time ago, and that's why it gets funky at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> right? You know, like the mashed potatoes get dropped in front of your significant other. Here, do that to my daughter. You brought them into the burden, but you didn't bring them into the resolution, right? That's why we got to be careful about going to family. Like, we got to seek wise counsel. Well, here's what the young woman does in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite. She goes to her girlfriends, uh, the daughters of Jerusalem, and she talks to them. And one of the things that they do, they give her wise counsel because they ask her questions, Rather than just affirm what she may want to hear or tell her, yeah, I can't believe he left and you don't know where he is, they ask her questions. Why do you love him? Why, why is he special? You know, why? Like, they get her to reflect on the relationship. They get her to talk. And then eventually she comes to this conclusion. She says he's, he's you know, one in a million. And here's what we read in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. My lover is dark as, and dazzling, she says, what? Better than 10,000 others. Somebody's like, yeah, man, where can I find that group of girlfriends to send my girl to? Because in the end, they're in this big conflict, but she's like, oh, man, he's awesome. He's great. She got good counsel. We need wise with You know where you find, I think, wise counsel? The church. The church. Whether it's, whether it's getting connected into a men's group or a women's group or serving or just getting involved or reaching out to a pastor uh, jumping in and celebrate recovery. Like wherever you're at, when you step into community, you have an opportunity to get around people who will not just yes you, but who will challenge you. And we don't just need to be yesed in conflict, right? Sometimes we need to be called on the carpet. Some of the best advice I ever got early in our marriage, I called a, a friend of mine up in church that was older and more seasoned, wiser, I said, hey, you know, can we, can we talk? And we, we sat down together at Denny's. I don't know why Denny's is like, Denny's is where coffee and eggs and truth happen for a lot of guys. You know, I'm just saying, right? Come on, man. Denny's are a place like Denny's. You know, like we sat down at Denny's. 
I explained this whole conflict that's going on in my life. Like, like Lori, I had painted the nursery in our house. We were all ready for our first kid. Everything was laid out. I'd worked really hard. I had to get back to work, life, a lot going on. And then we found out it was a girl. And then all of a sudden, like at the last minute, she's like, I want the room to be yellow. You got to paint the room yellow. I'm like, I already painted the room. I redid the whole room for you. Like, life's hard, but you'll be okay. I'm not doing it. And so I know, I know, I know. Some of you are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? But here's the thing about conflict. When you say it out loud and look at it from the outside, it's dumb, right? But when you're in the middle of it, sometimes it feels a lot bigger. Anyway, I, didn't wanna, I did not want to paint the nursery. She would not let it go. I just kept putting it off. It just kept intensifying. And I, so I called this guy, and I sat down with him. And, and I half wanted him to be a yeah, bro kind of guy. I already painted the nursery. It cost a lot of money did all the things. I told him all the stuff. And he looked at me and he goes, Judd, listen, you can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. (laughs) And then he told me like, paint the nursery. And he took another bite of eggs. And I'm like, you know, that was the best wisdom I got. And I got it from a guy in the church who wasn't willing to tell me what I wanted to hear, but he told me what I needed to hear. And what all of you knew when I tell the story immediately, dude, just paint the nursery. (laughs) Dummy. I needed somebody from the outside to look into my world and go, stop. You're trying to be right. Just be happy. I went back, painted the nursery. It took one day, and it was way more. I should have done that months before. So anyway, what was my point? Seek wise counsel. (laughs) Seek wise counsel. And the church is a great place to do that. Here's a fourth thought. Forgive early and often. Forgive early and often. Man, I could tell you story after story of all the times Lori has had to forgive me in my life. I remember once she came in and she sat down. She was pregnant with our first child. And um, when she sat down, she ripped the seam of her pants all the way up the backside. Like it made a huge loud sound. She sat down and it was just like a boom, really. It's like boom. And I just started laughing, you know, like, I mean, I completely lost my stuff, you know, because I'm like, this is amazing, man. Like, you're pregnant. It's all good. It's natural. (laughs) And you blew your pants out. And I start slapping my leg. Is anybody, when I start laughing, man, I just, it's it's involuntary. I'm a leg slapper, you know. Slapping my leg. I'm like, man, I thought she's laughing because her shoulders are moving up and down. I'm like, we're all laughing. We're one big, happy, pregnant family. You just blew your pants out. That's amazing. Then I realized she's not laughing. And maybe I had taken this way too far, like, all the way to Siberia, way too far. Her shoulders were moving because she's crying. And then she starts gagging. And then she runs to the bathroom and starts throwing up. And then she throws up so hard that she busted the blood vessels in her face. Yeah. And so the next day, her mom comes over. And the first thing she says is, Lori, what happened to your face? And I'm like, I'm out of here, man. I got to go. This is not the place to be. Listen, that's just one story. I remember once on Mother's Day, she came out. She had this beautiful dress on, and it went all the way down to her ankles, and it was sort of flowing, and it was black and white, and it kind of reminded me of SeaWorld. And without thinking, she walked, <laughs> she walked out, and I just said, man, you look like a whale. 
<laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Look, for Lori to be in a relationship with me, she has had to forgive often and forgive early. You know what I'm saying? And I want to suggest that for the person you're sitting next to that's in a relationship with you, they have also probably had to forgive often and forgive early, right? Because that's just relationships. And that's what happens in the Song of Solomon. I mean, you can hold on to a grudge or you can hold on to the person, but it's very hard to do both. And so are we going to be people that are willing to forgive often and early? In the Song of Solomon, when they come back together, you see forgiveness has flowed and that love is restored. And in chapter six, beginning in verse four, Solomon goes back to one of his favorite lines. He says, you are what? Beautiful. We've heard that before. And then he, he says, my darling. And then he, again, this is the second time he's talked about her teeth. He's really into her teeth. He says, look, your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Once again, this is where the Song of Solomon breaks down. Do not try this on the way home. Like, hey, baby, I love you. You have all your teeth. You're amazing. He says, man, your teeth are, are not only do you have all your teeth, each one is matched to its twin. He says, it's, they're like sheep, freshly, you know, like shaved, like washed. and everything. They're white. You got white teeth. You got all your teeth. You are a hot mama. <laughs> like that's the ancient equivalent, right? But they've restored that relationship. And to do that over a long time, you got to be willing to forgive often and forgive early. And who sets the ultimate example for that? Jesus. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that we could be forgiven, so that we could walk in the forgiveness and the grace of God. And the Bible challenges us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Forgiven people, as we grow in that understanding, we become more gracious, more kind, more loving. We talk less trash about other people. We're less hateful towards other people. We're, we're, we're more willing to let people sort of live and let live because that grace of God has transformed our lives and we realize, man, all that he's done in our life, we can release that burden, not only for us, but for others. And forgiveness doesn't mean an action didn't happen. It doesn't mean that maybe even trust needs to be restored, but it does mean I'm gonna release my perceived right to get even. I'm not gonna hold this over the person. I'm not gonna keep you know, lashing out at them because this hasn't been dealt with. God, I'm gonna turn this over to you and I'm gonna pray you'll take it. And I'm going to pray every day you'll take it and you will forgive. Might I suggest that some of us in our most important relationships, it is a lack of forgiveness that is the biggest barrier to that relationship being healthy and whole. And it is hard. I, at some level, I don't know how to suggest to you to forgive. Just from experience. But if you will take that to God every single day, you do it for 30 days. And you'll pray for the supernatural power to forgive. And you'll pray that God will help you. I believe God will supernaturally show you and lead you and teach you and help you get to a place of forgiveness. I've experienced that in my own life. It was harder than I thought it would be. Right? All the pastors get up and they're like, you just need to forgive until you actually have something to forgive. Hello. And then it's a whole other thing. Right? And you realize how complicated and layered it is. You bring it to God. God can show up and he can move and work in that. And it's important that he does. Lori and I have a picture that's very important to us. It's a picture that was taken from behind at my daughter's 
high school graduation party. We had some friends over, her friends, our friends, and celebrated her high school graduation several years ago. And this picture has just become important to us because I think it was a marker for us that, you know, one of our kids was leaving the nest, if you will, was stepping into life. And we've talked about this picture because it sort of says to both of us that people will come and go in our lives. Uh, friends will come and go. Some friends are lifelong friends, very few. Most friends are friends for a season, right? Um, careers will come and go. Jobs will come and go. Churches will come and go. People will come and go. But we have each other. And in the end, God willing, it's just going to be her and I. And so we want to be intentional not to reach past each other to take care of all these other things when that's the relationship that matters most. Now, I don't know what your relationship is. I don't know what your picture is. Maybe a spouse, it may be a kid, it may be a friend, but you have your pictures. We have ours. And they're a reminder that, look, conflict is going to happen. That's not the problem. How are we going to deal with it? That's the challenge. And if we'll simply attack the problem and not the person, if we'll acknowledge hurt as it comes along, if we'll seek wise counsel from others, if we'll forgive early and often, we will set ourselves up to win each other's hearts rather than just winning the argument and to cherish those things that are most important. And God, in many ways, has declared his relationship with you so incredibly important through all that Jesus did for you. So if you're here today and you've never crossed the line of faith, I believe he's calling you and, and uh, drawing you to come back to him, to come home to him, to find forgiveness and restoration and hope that can even empower you in your other relationships in your life. So I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you can begin that spiritual journey by repeating a simple prayer after me just to open your heart to God. Just either out loud or in your own heart and mind, just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I just want to ask you to slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me, just to say before God, and say to me, you're going to follow him in your life. Bless you guys. Thank you. Just reach out to him today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just reach out to him today. Thank you, guys. God bless you. God, I thank you for each person just reaching out to you today, and I pray you'll move and show up in their life in a powerful way. Thank you for your grace and your kindness and your mercy, and we commit each one of these people to you and ask for your blessing and protection. We say, ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.